0: You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go revs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America, touching lives, securing futures. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss spirit podcast with Ben Garrett and David Johnson.
1: This is Talk of Champions. I've been Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's David Johnson at Rebels247. We both work for the Old Miss Spirit. Old is is an affiliate of 247 sports. Today's guest on Talk of Champions is Ronnie Hamilton, Old Miss Men's Basketball Assistant Coach. Old Miss Basketball is in Columbia, South Carolina for Old Miss's road test against South Carolina in Columbia. It's a tough test. Ole Miss and South Carolina, both eight and four in the SEC. South Carolina has been a tough draw all year in the league and playing for seeding, really, in the SEC tournament. A double buy if you get in that top four, and uh, certainly would give Ole Miss the best chance to go win and make some noise in Nashville in the SEC tournament. Not that they'll necessarily need it, as a, as right now, according to Jerry Palm, they're a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. David, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing good. Ben, is there any way that, that the old Miss men's basketball team can
2: mess up what looks like now to be a clear trajectory to making the NCAA tournament?
1: Yes, they can uh, if they lose all of the games in which they play. <laughs> I think, quite <laughs> frankly, that if they win just three more games, they're 100% in, as in going to Nashville, not needing to do anything. If they win two, maybe might want to win one just to feel absolutely great about it, but I don't even think then will really matter all that much. Ole Miss would have to completely fall apart to not make the NCAA tournament at this point. They have no bad losses. They have no sub-100 losses. Um, I think they have four Quadrant one wins. They're 4-2 and on the road in the SEC. That Auburn win pretty much made them a locks, assuming that they do what they need to do, and that's win at Missouri. Um, I think the game tonight against South Carolina would be a nice jolt in that direction, I think just further solidifying their position. But they don't need to beat Tennessee at home. They don't need to beat Kentucky at home. Uh, they, don't, they they just need to win the winnable games left on their schedule and they're fine. Now South Carolina, if they lose it, still fine. Not a sub one hundred loss. So, yeah, I think they're in no matter what.
2: So what are the ramifications tonight? I, I mean, obviously a victory would be nice, but if they if they in fact do lose on the road at South Carolina, how? You know, how bad
1: of a loss is that it's not a bad loss at all uh south carolina is number 92 in the Ken palm rankings i haven't looked at their net ranking Ole miss is in the 30s in both Ken palm team rankings and the ncaa net it's not a bad loss it's not a sub 100 loss and like i mentioned don't be fooled by south carolina's overall record they were really beat up in the nine conference they've been so good in the league eight and four and uh, whoever wins this game will be well positioned for top four seed in the SEC tournament. Um, But then Ole Miss comes home, and and you get Georgia. You're going to beat Georgia, then Tennessee. That's going to be tough, obviously. Then you go to Arkansas, Kentucky, and then at Missouri. Uh, If you beat three of South Carolina, Georgia, Arkansas, Missouri, you're 100% no doubt in. If you win Georgia, Arkansas, Missouri, you're in. If you win any of that mix. But I think if you only win two, you're in. I think they're that well positioned because the bubble is so weak. Currently projected as Ole Miss 21-10 and 10 in the league. I mean, overall in 11-7 and seven in the league, according to Kim Palm. So, they're in, man. And I have to give you credit. You prophesized this. You predicted it.
2: Uh. Yeah, very tongue in cheek, but uh, it, it's certainly good to see, especially in Kermit Davis's first year. And that's all I was banking on was the energy that he was going to inject into the program, uh, which was and you, obviously I think you expected
1: competitiveness too. You know, a competitiveness that you didn't see over the last two months of last season.
2: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And you've gotten exactly that. Boy, they do play hard. Uh, I love to watch them play defense. They 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 play play very hard uh, on the defensive end of the court.
1: Yeah, I think in defensive efficiency, they're, I want to say, top 50. Offensive efficiency, gotten better. Three-point uh, defense is what's really improved. They they were not good at that at all early on in the year, and then they gotten better and better, and they were really good against Auburn. That Auburn game, I think, was the biggest testament to the Kermit Davis impact on this team of any game that they've had all year. And I'm speaking at Auburn. Auburn was 26-2. and two. In the previous 28, it, it coming into the Ole Miss game, and Ole Miss's strategy was simple: we're going to drain the shot clock, and we're not going to we're going to limit their possessions, and we're not going to let them have any non-contested threes. And it worked, and um, that win all but catapulted them into this position to where they have so much wiggle room that they don't need to win the vast majority of the games left on their schedule. Though I think they'll beat one of South Carolina or Arkansas on the road in Georgia and at Missouri. Those three games alone, and they're they're in, they're done, it's over. And um, it's a real testament to this team, too, because that one-in-five stretch was so tough. You thought after the loss at Florida when they were going to win that game, that three-point shot goes in, that 30-foot contested three goes in to tie the game, and Florida wins in overtime. And then the lose at home against Mississippi State, you felt this worm turning for Ole Miss to then reel off four straight, yeah. including winning one at Auburn. And beating the Georgia team at Georgia, that I know they're bad overall, but Georgia's the best rebounding team in the SEC. And Ole Miss out-rebounded, then Bruce Stevens completely dominated the glass, and they won. And they won it in different ways. They're adaptable, and that's something Ronnie and I talked about. But I, I just think that that adaptability, that ability to – play any type of style to win a game that travels and that that allows you to be a consistently good team and overcome bad stretches and that's what Ole Miss has done
2: hey you bring up the the Mississippi State loss and the Florida loss and certainly both 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 of those games Ole Miss could have won both of those and it could be argued that they should have won both of those what kind of different position would they be in today had they won both of those? Obviously oh, they'd man. be ten and two in league play. I mean, <laughs> how much better? How close
1: are they to I mean I mean, does that put them up in the five seed territory if they yeah. won both those games? Wouldn't it? I mean, I think at worst they'd be a six. At worst they'd be a six. Yeah, I think they very well would probably be a five. Now do I think they'd end up being a five? No, 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 no. But yeah, they'd be in that cap It's just a remarkable thing to be discussing here. It's February nineteenth. David and I, when we got on this podcast, Kermit Davis is hired. We started talking about this program and what what it was, it was going to be tough in year one. I uh, remember this team was 12 and 20 last year. I did forget or didn't give enough credit to the fact that they returned three all league caliber guards. Not that they'd been all been named all league, but Brian Tyree, Terrence Davis, and Devontae Schiller all had that potential. I just still didn't think they had enough front court play. And I thought that the freshmen, and they have hit the wall to an extent, but that the freshmen would wear down. And yet KJ Buffin is getting stronger. Blake Henson's still in that valley right now as freshmen, all freshmen deal with the peaks and valleys of their debut year. But they, they haven't trailed off, and it's to the credit of Brian Tyree, who leads the SEC in points per game um, in conference play. Terrence Davis has had his moments of dealing with foul trouble and this, that, and the other. But when Terrence Davis is staying in his stance and committed defensively and not getting overzealous, I mean, he goes and has seven steals against Texas A&M, and that won that game. They were losing the Texas A&M game. That was going to be a loss. And then Terrence Davis keeps getting steals and getting them back in it. I I, I just think it's remarkable that after all this time, February 19th, Ole Miss is 18-7 and 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 8-4 in the league. If anybody would have said that they would have expected such a a run up to this point, they'd be lying. Or they're the most homerish of homers. And yet David Johnson predicted that they'd make the NCAA tournament. So, hey, what do I know? What the hell do I know?
2: All the way from the chief seats, I might, I might add right there. But again, it was based solely on uh, – not on my basketball knowledge. It was based solely on the fact that, man, you just knew how much Kermit Davis appreciated this opportunity. You knew that the program had the uh, the wind let out of it itself last year. You knew Kermit was going to come in like a storm. And uh, I just felt like that energy, because there was some talent here. I think everybody knew that uh, was going to – them over the top, and uh, so far so good. They they survived that kind of uh, midseason lull that they went into. They're back on the winning track. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you brought up the fact you still got Kentucky and Tennessee to go, and let me ask you this. What do you make of Kentucky's just demolishing of Tennessee over the weekend? Uh, Tennessee looking like the Giants of the conference, and then the Wildcats just kind of uh, spanked them with a little bit of that bluegrass tradition over the weekend.
1: I think every team, no matter how good they are, gets one of those year. Now Ole Miss really hasn't gotten one of those. Uh, just a true well, Alabama's a thrashing. At Alabama it was a complete ass whipping. It was seventy-four to fifty three. Miss was not competitive in that game. So maybe it is, no matter what team you are across the board, you get one of those games where you're just gonna get beat by the team. Because Kentucky is every bit as talented as Tennessee. Um the difference between Tennessee and Kentucky is some veteran I mean, some team players have played with each other for a long time in Tennessee, Kentucky. It's always, you're bringing in the best players, one and done guys, and they come in and, and you know, you just try to make the team the best you can. That's what John Calipari always done. But, uh, you know, that Kentucky team is as talented as any team in the country. And, you know, they have that ability in them. Um, I don't think it says much of anything. I, I think it just shows that Kentucky and Tennessee are the class of the league. And then everyone after them is kind of playing for third place, um, Ole Miss and South Carolina playing for fourth place, but uh, yeah, I just I don't I don't put much stock into it. I will say that for Ole Miss to draw Tennessee and Kentucky in in t- two in like in a span of a week, that's a really tough draw, and it's at home. But like I look at that game when I was watching, and I was thinking, does Ole Miss match up well, particularly well at all with either of these teams? No, they don't. Maybe a little bit better with Tennessee. I expect them to lose both games, but at this point. I give almost the benefit of the doubt that it's going to play well in every game it plays. And that, again, I think speaks to what you were saying about Kermit Davis. Do you believe – you mentioned the Kermit Davis effect. Do you believe in that in sports as far as – Hugh Freeze did it in his first year. I mean, everyone expected that first year to be a disaster.
2: I am so glad you asked me that because I, I'm going to tell you, I think it's taking place. I do believe in it, and I think it's taking place inside the Manning Center right now as we speak with this Ole Miss oh. football team. Huh. Uh, I, I, I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, everything I'm hearing from inside the Manning Center, Rich Rodriguez, is one intense human being and he has brought a new level of intensity to the offensive side of the Ole Miss football team that is unparalleled and that intensity as I understand it has carried over into the weight program and is infecting all aspects of of the Ole Miss football program so that's some good news coming from out of the Manning Center right there Uh, it probably doesn't mess around and uh, you know I, I think that that attitude, if you will, is being embraced by the team as well.
1: The podcast brought to you by El Agave Mexican Grill. Ole Miss baseball is in full swing and spring football practices are around the corner. For all you Rebel fans out there, that means a whole heck of a lot of trips to Oxford here soon. If you need a good place to eat, your spot is El Agave Mexican Grill, the best Tex-Mex in town. If you live in Oxford or New Albany, El Agave Mexican Grill is the only stop for the best food, drinks, and atmosphere. At El Agave, there's top shelf Mexican food and a cantina at both locations, and with the warm and inviting atmosphere, you and yours can make yourself at home. It's the best Mexican around that starts with high quality ingredients and careful preparation. The kitchen gets busy early every morning because El Agave starts from scratch every day, making fresh salsa, boiling chilies for their homemade red and green chili dishes, slow cooking their lean cuts of beef and pork, and then pouring the broth off into their homemade sauces. There's nothing like having a full house of folks over for a great Mexican fiesta, so come on over to El Agave in Oxford and or New Albany, 2305 West Jackson Avenue in Oxford, 650 Park Plaza in New Albany. You won't find better Mexican food or margaritas anywhere else. Try the street tacos. They're the best. Stay for the food and the experience. El Agave Mexican Grill. The podcast is also brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there. Like recently. You're just looking to get the best deal anyway, right? If that's the case, and to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell, and what separates Alan Samuels is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, so they'll probably want to talk some Ole basketball, baseball, spring football practices, but more importantly, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible and make sure you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger, Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. to Find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. I look at this staff with Tyro Nix added to it, and this is glossing over it with too broad of a brush, and I apologize for that, but... Are there too many chiefs and not enough Indians on this coaching staff, or do you think it, uh, as much experience as possible is good? I think as much experience as possible is good. All these guys are
2: pros at what they do, and you uh, know I got to tell you, Ben, I think uh, I think th- I think you're going to see some immediate dividends pay off because the Rebel coaching staff has grown so much longer in the tooth, if you will. Uh, when you talk about Rich Rodriguez, Mike McIntyre, who is a cerebral defensive minded coach uh, who, who will also get after it as well and the head coaching experience that both Rodriguez and McIntyre have and then Calvin McGee I talked to Calvin this morning and uh, you know you want to talk about a guy who's, who's been an offensive coordinator for 12 years 12 seasons at places like Michigan Arizona West Virginia uh, he's coaching the Ole Miss tight ends now he also has an NFL background playing as a tight end Uh, He's a fantastic recruiter. You brought up Tyrone Nix, who of course has been a high-level defensive coordinator before, is coming to Ole Miss uh, from being the safeties coach at Virginia Tech. Everybody knows Tyrone. Uh, He had some really good defenses here. When uh, in Houston, nuts first couple of seasons in Oxford had some really good players too. I, you yeah, yeah. got yeah. to throw that in there. But, uh, but man, no, I, I am uh, I am super excited about those four additions to this Ole Miss coaching staff. And you've already seen like what the presence of Rich Rodriguez can do on the recruiting trail because I'm going to tell you, you don't get John Rice plumbing. If Rich Rodriguez is not the offense coordinator here, I firmly believe that. I mean, he played an instrumental role in Plumlee's decision to, uh, to come to Ole Miss. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I think Matt Luke won the offseason. OK, he finished strong. Uh, December wasn't a, wasn't a big bump in terms of recruiting, but, man, did he finish strong in February. Uh, and then, look, uh, not just those four guys, but you look around at the remaining staff with, with Derek Nick, a veteran recruiter uh, who's going into, I think, what is – this is his 12th year maybe on this Ole Miss coaching staff, as, is on his third head coach at Ole Miss, uh, knows Mississippi like the back of his hand. Jacob Peeler is the thing, the up-and-coming thing in terms of wide receivers coaching coaches nationwide. Uh, he is a fantastic recruiter. Obviously, uh, he can coach the position as well. Jack Bicknell with his NFL background, also a former head coach. When you t- want to talk about this staff getting along in the tooth, you know, remember Bicknell, the head coach at Louisiana Tech for, I think, eight seasons. So, uh, and, and then you look on the defensive side of the ball, John Sumrall. Look, Sumrall was almost a head coach. He's not a head coach right now by whisker. He was the number two guy in Troy's uh, coaching search, and and he had worked down there for – Several years, they knew him well, and uh, probably didn't get that job simply because Troy wanted to go with an offensive-minded guy. And Sumrall is a defensive coach, but uh, but he came within an eyelash of getting that job. He is a fantastic recruiter, and uh, you know he has been turned loose up in Memphis. some Sumrall, Sumrall is in charge of Memphis right now for Ole Miss, and it is paying off. I had a conversation Saturday with Whitehaven High School head coach uh, Rodney Salisbury, and. Uh, Uh, Just talking to Rodney about John, and and of course there are three offers out at Whitehaven High School from Ole Miss to uh, some outstanding linebacker prospects. And Rodney was just singing John's praises as as to how well he thinks he's going to do on the Memphis recruiting scene. you know, and and, and then Mike McIntyre, who's going to coach the safeties along with being the defensive coordinator. And you got Freddie Roach up, up there on the defensive line. Uh, I mean, this is a great staff. I mean, it, I would be hard-pressed to find a staff that would be equivalent to this one in terms of experience and know-how uh, during the Hugh Freeze era. I don't think Hugh ever had a staff disqualified. I know he didn't. No, uh, yeah, not, yeah, and absolutely was,
1: what we've talked about this before. That was not his style. And uh, it's commendable of Matt Luke that you hire a staff like this, especially with two guys. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, that could theoretically replace you if things went bad, that not many coaches out there in college football would do that. Hugh Freeze would have never done that. He wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. Not bad, you know, not good, not bad. Just different. Uh, coaches have different approaches, and if that's what you what you want to do, you've had success at Ole Miss. So whatever you think is the best for your particular philosophy, Matt Luke just wants the very best staff he can he can get together, and he wants them to go out and coach and get the job done for Ole Miss to win, and that's commendable. Um, I will say, I if you would have asked me from those old Houston nut staffs, the one coach that there's no way you'd ever see him back at Ole Miss, I would have said Tyrone Nix. To me, this is shocking. It's not, and we knew this was coming. And Chuck came on this podcast and wouldn't say it, and that's just Chuck's style, wouldn't say it, but he knew Tyrone X was getting hired. And I, I just it was shocking to me because I just never would have thought I'd have seen him back. Not that he didn't have a good run at Ole Miss. I mean, it, it, there were some bad moments, but he did have a couple of really good defenses. Uh, defending an option was never his strong suit. Um, but well, Tyrone Nix as a position coach is a hell of a hire. It's just I would have never expected it, not after well, we the way it s- ended. We
2: can flash back to the low points of Tyrone Nix's defenses at Ole Miss from the 2008 through the 2011 seasons, and uh, they do not rival what Ole Miss fans have watched from the defensive side of the football the last – Couple of seasons, Ben. I, I mean, all,
1: all is forgiven. Different talent levels, though. I will say, different it, talent uh, levels.
2: It, well, the first two years, different talent levels. Not and not necessarily in 2010 or 2011.
1: Um, yeah, that, just, eight, that eight, Tobias eight, Singleton and Nick Brazel class really didn't hit too hard for him.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, eight, eight and nine were very talented defensive classes, uh, defensive rosters. Ten and eleven were not. But um, you know,
1: I just think uh, about Chris Ralph running free in the egg bowl and just. It,
2: yeah, yeah. Look like Ralph looked like Jeremy Liggins back in his high school days, and yeah. in, in that egg bowl. I, I know what you're saying, but you know, it, I'm glad Tyrone is back. One thing, one thing is he, he's a very good recruiter. Yeah, okay. he's a hell
1: of a position coach. You have Tyrone yeah. East, an outside linebackers coach. That's that's a hell of a hire, man. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and and I I briefly spoke with Tyrone yesterday, and uh, we were just trading some messages back and forth on Twitter. He's excited about coming home, Uh, and it is home. I I mean, you know, we talk about Derek being here forever and ever, and now Tyrone coming back. Uh, You know, there's going to have to be a a Knicks plaque hung up out there on the wall somewhere. What what is their
1: dynamic like? You know that dynamic, Derek and Tyrone.
2: Oh, I think they're very close. Absolutely. Very, very close. Um, and, um, you know, if you know either one of them, you love both of them. I mean, they're awesome guys. Absolutely awesome guys. Uh, you know, you know, Derek is on a run here. Like we talked about, of, you know, he's serving under his third head coach here at Ole Miss. But for me, it would be a sad, sad day the, the day Derek Nix would no longer be on this staff because he is he is one of the most outgoing, friendliest uh Guys that you could ever have to deal with. And, I would and, agree
1: with that. You know, because I've I've had many different type of react or interactions with Ole Miss football assistant coaches, and Derek Nix has always been consistently pleasant and outgoing. And, he's the same guy yeah, every day. Every day, no matter same if it's good, guy. bad, or indifferent. If he's got a problem with something you did or whatever, something you wrote, he did, he, he understands the business. He gets it. He, he
2: does. He does. The, 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 the very smart guy, and, and Tyrone's a lot like that too. So I think it's a great hire. I, I mean, when you grade out all of these hires, I, I mean, it's hard not to give Matt an A on every single one of them, and an A plus on a couple of them. I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, if you are
1: grading Matt Luke's coaching staff off season objectively, you have to give it an A.
2: Absolutely you do. I, I mean, ben, let, tell me this. Tell me another staff in the SEC, starting with the coordinators and working itself down, that's as good as this one.
1: I, I don't, I mean, I don't I, pretend to know much about other staffs, quite frankly, but I would agree with you. You'd be hard-pressed to find one comparable as far as experience goes.
2: I mean, McIntyre's a two-time national head coach of the year. Think about that. Rich Rodriguez is a pioneer when it comes to the spread offense and running the football out of the spread offense. He invented it. He invented it. And the thing I like about Rich Rod, I don't know if a lot of people picked up on this, but at his introductory press conference here at Ole Miss, what did he talk about? What did he do last season when he wasn't coaching? Man, he went out and studied the game. He was with the Atlanta Falcons. He he hopped around the NFL. His, his, his desire to keep on learning and keep on innovating is still there and, and at 55 years old. And I think that is an awesome thing. And I can tell you, I promise you, he hadn't lost any piss and vinegar. Uh, you talk to some of them boys out there on the team. He has ramped up the
1: intensity. I'm curious to see how it all comes together as, as a staff. I mean, look, all of these guys have held big-time positions in college football every single one of them every new hire that he's made i'm fascinated to see the dynamic because you know rich rodriguez has to defer to matt luke you know that you know mike mcintyre has to defer to matt luke tyrone nicks has to defer to matt luke and mike mcintyre all of these guys have all have held the position of being the loudest voice in the room i don't think that um, ego is going to get in the way necessarily. But nope. every one of these guys have egos. I, I'm just fascinated to watch the dynamic of the coaching staff and how they interact with each other, how they play off of each other, and how they play into each other's strengths and um, maybe compensate where another guy needs some help. I, I, I just, I'll, I'll, I'm fascinated I'll make by a, the staff.
2: I'll, I'll just make a general observation here. Rodriguez, mid-50s. McIntyre, mid-50s. Tyrone Nix, mid-40s. Calvin McGee, mid-50s. These are these are very accomplished and very mature men in their profession. I, I agree with you. I don't think there, there's not going to be any kind of ego thing. I think all these guys are going to be pulling the rope in the same direction. Uh, Mike McIntyre even mentioned, you know, during his introductory press conference, that part of the appeal of coming here was to help his friend. Coach Matt Luke, and, and I think that's the deal right there. I, I think Rodriguez is appreciative of the opportunity to land in the SEC as an offensive coordinator. Um, I would love to hear the story of how Rich Rodriguez and Ole Miss got together. Well, I can tell you this much. it, came, it the, the call to Rodriguez came from out of the blue. Rodriguez was, was heading towards taking a position in the Alliance of American Football. Oh. Huh. And the call from Ole Miss came out of the blue. It was something that interested him, appealed to him. Uh, he flew to Oxford, met with Matt. Their philosophies very, very similar. They gelled very good, and the rest is history. Yeah, That's the one thing I the the one,
1: yeah the one thing I heard is that initially, after he interviewed Rich Rodriguez, he he loved the guy. He thought the interview was great. Met exactly what he wanted, but. He wanted to wait just because he wanted to do his due diligence. But then Rich Rod's name gets out there as a possible coordinator candidate. And Matt knew, no, you couldn't wait. If this was going to be your guy, you better move. Because now other teams, other programs know that Rich Rodriguez is out there applying for candidacy jobs or coordinator jobs, and putting his candidacy forward for coordinator jobs. No one really knew that. And to make that move, that, that shows foresight. That shows a network of relationships it's impressive and uh to to be the one because we always I always talk about this in basketball with Kermit Davis and recruiting he's the one that went out and found Franco Miller for example and then a bunch of other teams came in and offered Sammy Hunter same thing he's a top 100 player A bunch of other teams came in when you can show the foresight to be out in front and um to identify not just talent as far as recruiting is concerned but coaches as well and know the market and know what's available to you before your your competitors do that's a testament to Matt Luke. And again, I've been as harsh a critic on Matt Luke as anybody. And yet, um when he in these particular circumstances you have to give him nothing but a pat on the back because I think that in and of itself, that foresight to go find a Rich Rodriguez, no one saw that coming. (laughs) No one did until Matt Luke made the call.
2: What has been the biggest pro, and then some people have used this as the biggest con with Matt Luke, uh getting the head coaching job at Ole Miss he loves Ole Miss. He loves Ole Miss. Some people have said, well, that's not the, 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 the reason you, you make Matt Luke the head coach because of his love for Ole Miss. But as you have mentioned throughout this podcast and kind of driven home, totally unselfish coaching hires by Matt during the offseason. And he did that. Why? Because he loves that football program. And there's, there's something to be said for that, Ben. because you're right in saying that some guys would not have gone that route. And now let me ask you this. When's the last time you've been excited about an Ole Miss football season coming up because of who was on the coaching staff? I don't think the that's ever, has coaching, it
1: ever really been a ever? thing. Yeah, that ever really-
2: that, 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 that's what I'm saying. I, 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 mean, I mean, but that's a storyline for. This year already. I, I mean, we're gonna all want to see what Rich Rodriguez's offense is going to do against Memphis, and we're gonna all want to see what kind of improvements the Ole Miss defense has made under Mike McIntyre. I mean, that's a major storyline heading into uh, into this season. And and again, kind of like with with the energy we were, we started off talking about, Kermit Davis injected into the Ole Miss basketball program, I think you're going to see the same thing for football. Now, what does that translate to on the gridiron? I don't know. because It's, it's talent, talent at the officials. end of the day. It's
1: talent. It's talent.
2: Yeah, a lot of it is. There's no doubt about it. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, a lot of times, dynamics inside a locker room can change and sometimes change for the better, even though you're, you're losing a lot of talent. Uh, I, 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 I'll challenge you to answer this. Who's the superstar on the Ole Miss football team right now? No, seriously. There isn't one. There really isn't one.
1: It's like, there it, was a it, whole when you think, bunch
2: of them last year.
1: Yeah, because when you think superstar, you think A.J. Brown, Laquan Shredwell, Laramie Tunsil, yeah. Robert Kimdichie, Tony Conner before he got hurt. Right. Mike Hilton emerges that type of player. Trey Elston emerges that type of player. And those players were secondary to other Superstar talents on their roster, and yet they went all got cups of tea in the uh, NFL. I
2: don't know. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, Scotty Phillips may be the closest thing. Momo Nago. Um, but what I'm saying is the dynamics inside that locker room. You know, and Matt, Matt Luke's always stressed. We want to be a blue collar football team. Well, they got their opportunity to be a blue collar football team this fall because uh, the the star power is not on the roster anymore. But but again, that's not always a terrible thing. You can turn that into a positive if you get all of those guys pulling in the same direction and the thing that they're playing for is that W every single Saturday. Yeah, i not this, saying anybody else wasn't, but I'm, I'm just saying though, you know, sometimes those dynamics matter.
1: It does feel does the season it has a sense of a twenty twelve feel to it. Not to say Ole Miss is going to go seven and six and make a low tier bowl like a Liberty Ball or God forbid the BBVA compass bowl. But it does have that type of feel to it. Because that Home team had no iron that, that, that team had no superstars. They had the no. same starting five offensive linemen all year, and their left tackle was Emmanuel McRae. But go back to that
2: year and how exciting it was, and uh and, and I think this season can have the same kind of narrative. I don't care if they end up, you know, going to the BBVA Birmingham Compass Bowl or whatever it's going to be called. Yeah, this I'll let year. you and Chuck handle that one, but oh, yeah. it's still going to generate excitement. The fact that they're back in the bowl business, the fact that they can honestly, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, Throw the middle finger up at the NCAA if they can get back into the into a bowl
1: game this year. That should year. be the default response to the NCAA from this point until Ole Miss's end of days. I
2: agree. I <laughs> agree with that, man. I, um, but 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 I mean, it's possible. I think the path to winning six this fall is narrow. I really and truly do. Uh, I think you, you must win your four non-conference games and you got two SEC zero games.
1: room for error. Zero uh,
2: to it. Two SEC games are set up on a tee for you that you must win. And that is week two against Arkansas. And then a little bit later on against Vanderbilt. Both those games are in Oxford. You got to win both of those and you can't stub your toe in the non-con portion of your schedule because look, there's nothing else. Uh, n- nothing in the SEC is given, but those look to be your best two opportunities for a, for SEC wins this fall, which would get you to six as long as you don't mess up against Memphis and you don't mess up against Cal.
1: And that's easier said than done. Memphis yes. is going to be a tough, tough draw in week one.
2: It's it, weird, it,
1: though. It's weird that, not weird, with all that's happened, it's frankly quite predictable. Ole Miss went from going into every SEC game expecting to win to now you're back to that hope place again. That was such a pit of despair on
2: yeah. your
1: The thing SEC I would games. say,
2: though, is reflect back and remember how quickly you went from that whole place to the expectations of winning every SEC game. It happened quickly, and things can happen quickly. And I'm by no means predicting that's going to happen this fall. I mean, I think it's going to be a very, very tough year. But so far, as we've said, all the gears Matt Luke has shifted in the offseason, I think, improved the Rebel. Chances of uh, of reaching six victories, and I think that ought to be the goal this fall. I mean, if you want to be realistic about it, win six, win six, get back to a bowl game, and then start building. Uh, I think that's what you do.
1: Man, I'm now trying to think about who the superstar is on this roster. <laughs> that's all I've been well, thinking about. I,
2: I, I mean, look, look at it from this point: who are who will be your preseason All Conference players? on this roster there isn't one. let's think about that Alex, well, Gibbons, Alex Gibbons Alex Gibbons I think Ben Brown has a possibility but the thing about it is most people don't most people have vote on those things, have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to offensive line play. Uh, but but ben, ben should be given some preseason, all SEC consideration. Uh, Scotty Phillips should be given some consideration. Uh, had he not been injured the last two games of the year last year, he would have ran for more than a thousand yards, still ran for 900 plus. Um, yeah. He should get some consideration on the defensive side of the football though. You know, I mean, it, it's 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 hard. Maybe Momo Sinago because of the number of tackles he made. But let's be honest, a, a large part of Momo's tackle total last year was because somebody had to make them, yeah. to be honest with you. I, I mean, and, and he was relentless in tracking down uh, missed tackles.
1: Oh, Dietrich Bean uh, Dukes. Yeah, he missed that tackle again. So, yeah, there comes Momo. Get so, a tackle. Yeah.
2: So, I, you know, that's, that's why Zedrick Woods is
1: always like in the top three in tackles for like three straight years. Yeah, he was playing center field back there. Yeah, he, was, he was the last line of defense,
2: catching everything out of the infield, and um, <laughs> that's just kind of kind of how it was. But 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 I mean that, that's an accurate assessment. There are no superstars on this group. This is Matt Luke's blue collar football team.
1: I'll say this: back when uh, Matt Luke hired John Sumrall, if I'd have said they're going to hire Tyrone Nixon their linebackers coach, and that's going to be their linebackers coach. Every fan would have said, Man, that's a, that's a really strong hire. Well, you got John Summerall and Tyrone Nix. Oh, right yeah. I'd have said, Oh, yeah. Tyrone Nix is going to be your linebacker's coach, and John Summerall is going to be promoted defensive coordinator. Fans are probably like, Ah, oh, I wish they'd have done more. Well, you got both, and you got Mike McIntyre. Offensive coordinator, look, there's no hypothetical out there that could best Rich Rodriguez as your offensive coordinator. And Calvin McGee, I don't know what he's going to be as Ole Miss's tight ends coach, but the experience with Rich Rodriguez, the history, all that stuff, it's an A. It's an A staff hire process for Matt Luke. There's no other way to put it. He it, had a far away passing and grade. Better than that. A ex- it, exemplary report.
2: And we talk about we talk about these veteran hires on on, on, the, on the staff. But Ben, I gotta be honest with you. I think there are two guys on this coaching staff that are future head coaches Ooh. Uh, that are budding, budding superstars in the coaching industry. And you just mentioned one of them, John Summerall. And, um, Ole Miss I,
1: held I, off other schools from trying to get John Sumrall to come be a D coordinator.
2: You better believe it. Let me tell you something, man. These recruits love John Sumrall. I talk to these recruits all the time. Any of them, Summerall's recruiting, look, man, there, there's a special relationship there. I mean, I, I mean, truth be known, that's how Ole Miss flipped Lakia Henry, basically flipped him from Arkansas on signing day. It was a strong relationship Henry had with John Sumrall. Um, and, and then the other guy, I think that's a budding superstar is Jacob
1: Peeler. I think both of those guys one day will be head coaches. Fan and friend of the podcast, Jacob Peeler. Been on this podcast regularly. He's a good dude, and I'm with Mississippi on that guy. One. Mississippi yes. guy. Look, look, look at this 2021 class they're already putting together.
2: He got a huge commitment, and, and really the the big time assist ought to go to Derek Nix on this one. But the Brandon Buckhalter kid, 2021 wide receiver, going to play at Callaway this fall. Now, a lot of people that didn't make a huge impact and didn't register. Uh, I, I think with the magnitude, it should have Saturday when Buckhalter committed to Ole Miss because he's been away from the Mississippi football scene for a little bit. The reason why is because a guy named Dion Sanders saw him at a camp a couple of years ago and was like, holy moly. So Dion convinced Brandon Buckhalter to move out to Texas last year and play at Trinity Christian where Deion Sanders was serving as the offensive coordinator of that football team. And uh, Buckhalter gets out there, just wasn't a good fit for him, probably a little homesick, decides, hey, I'm going back to Mississippi. I miss my family. So he comes back to Mississippi, everybody expecting him to go to Provine because that's where he was at before he left. Instead enrolls at Callaway. He's going to play at Callaway this fall. Committed to Ole Miss. I mean, look, when he's rated as part of that 2021 class, if he's not rated as one of the nation's top 10 wide receivers, I don't know what to tell you. And, and he reminds me of a very young AJ Brown with his body type, a little taller than AJ.
1: Hold on now. Uh, No,
2: no, 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 wait, I'm not through though. There's another kid in the class of 2021. And we're talking about Jacob Peeler here, who is from Kosciuszko, Mississippi named Antonio Harmon. He's, he's at Kosciuszko high school. Already rated the number eight wide receiver in the country. Has been to Ole Miss two out of the last three weekends. Uh, I think Ole Miss leads for him. Harmon's not saying that right now. You get Antonio Harmon with Brandon Buckhalter in that twenty twenty one class, and you've got something because Harmon is drawing comparisons to a young DK Metcalf with how his frame Stop is it. at this point of his career. And and he's got the frame to add that bulk like Metcalf added. Uh and oh hopefully not I as mean, much as
1: not hopefully not as much as DK. <laughs> he's he's yeah, yeah, Bossing himself right now.
2: Yeah, if they remake the incredible Hulk, DK can cast for that role. Uh, that's that's for sure. Lou Ferrigno would look look weak. My God, uh, trying to play the Hulk next to uh, DK. But but anyway, I, I mean uh, uh, that's just uh, to underscore the job Peeler is doing a, a, a with with the wide receivers at Ole Miss. And and then both of these kids tell me all the time, both of them's hero is AJ Brown. I, I mean, so Ole Miss getting residuals off, off of what they're doing with the wide receivers with future classes. So I'm excited ab- about seeing that. And look, there's some good wide receivers in this 19th class too. My sleeper as far as a wide receiver in the 19th class, Jaden Jackson. Okay. The kid, the kid from over near Fayetteville, Arkansas, got here in January. He's going to go through spring practice. I think he's going to work himself into a role this fall.
1: Got to get to Ronnie Hamilton, but I'll say this before we do. A.J. Brown never got to play in a bowl in his Ole Miss career. It's terrible. It's a shame. It's a, a shame. shame. It's, But his legacy is going to be one of the greatest of any Ole Miss player to ever come through.
0: And no, it's no, what he's no doing doubt.
1: for recruiting for the guys coming behind him, um, for the what he did on the field, obviously, but also for staying and for being a voice for a lot of people who are frustrated. A.J. Brown's easily top three players in Ole Miss history at this point, and that's not going to be in any way challenged by anyone anytime soon. So, yeah, that sucks I, I, that he didn't get to play in a bowl game in any of his three-year old Miss career. A.J. Brown is easily one of the very best players to ever step foot in Ole Miss. From Starkville, Mississippi. Everything yeah. you said is true. Yep. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. He's David Johnson at Spirit Ben at Rebels two Four Seven. Both right for the OM Spirit, OMSpirit.com. Subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions, in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Working to get it on Spotify. Could have it back on the on Rebel Sports Radio pretty soon. So working on all those things. Also, if you want to check it out in content form, omspirit.com and a of two four seven sports. Going now to Ronnie Hamilton on the Chinese Pharmacy Phone Line. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations compounding, a two lane drive through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. At Cheney's Pharmacy, you get the best customer service out there. So give Cheney's a call, 662 234 7221. 662 234 7221. Or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online, chenniespharmacy.com. Chennies Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Going now to the Chennies Pharmacy phone line to speak to Ronnie Hamilton, Ole Miss assistant basketball coach. Tonight, Ole Miss is in South Carolina to take on the Gamecocks. A big game, Ronnie, because this game, not only obviously looking toward the postseason, the NCAA tournament, but SEC tournament seeding in South Carolina's played really well. Both teams, eight and four in the conference. How you doing, first of all? And second of all, what do you see in the Gamecocks?
3: Yeah, doing great, Ben. Good to be on with you. Um, you know, it's like you said, it's a big game. And, and Coach has a saying all the time, you know, the more you win, the bigger they get. That's kind of what it feels like, you know, down here in Columbia. Right now as we speak, you know, obviously, NJ aspirations. Uh, it's one of the goals that we had when we first got the job. A lot of people didn't maybe think it was possible. Um, but that's one of the first things Coach Davis said to uh, Tennis Davis and DC and Bruce, you know, in our first team meeting, very first day, you know, said, you know, it's not fair to you guys to, to have to rebuild. So that was a goal. And as these guys have, have, have gotten better and, and worked and, and improved, you know, it seems more realistic now, but still a lot of work to be done. And tonight, you know, has a long way to go in that. And then, like you said, also at the SEC tournament, seating wise, uh, you know, the are double by. Uh, not that you can't win four games in four days, but it makes it a lot easier when you can. You had to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know, to try to win in advance in the SEC tournament. So, again, on the road, you know, South Carolina's been playing really good. Like you mentioned, just a team that's, uh, you know, top of fourth, eight wins already in league play. Uh, they play really well at home. They're tough. Uh, you know, Frank Martin does a, a great job. They shoot the ball really well. Um, you know, looked at his stats a couple of days ago, and if they, they, they're now the best three-point shooting team in the league have kind of surpassed Auburn, you know, and so that's against one of our, hadn't been one of our strengths in guarding a three-point line. did a great job against Auburn uh, doing it, but it hadn't been a strength all year long, so that's something tonight that we've got really conscious of, but it'll be a tough, tough matchup for sure.
1: Kind of a random question, but for fans listening to this and y'all on the road, y'all in the process of getting ready for the game, tip-off at 6 p.m., what's it like when a team travels and goes on the road? What's the routine like for you guys?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think the, the the more you can keep it, like you said, routine, I think the the, the, the better you you know, you have a chance to win a road think coach does a great job. I mean, we're kinda you know, with our schedule, you could almost like clockwork, you know, know what we're gonna do. Obviously, we'll usually practice um uh at home the day before, you know, some type of mid morning practice and you know, fly uh uh day before and get here usually around, you know, sixes or so and What we've done here uh, throughout the season has kind of been a really neat thing for us. Didn't do it always before we had middle, but we've gone and shot, um, you know, at the opposing arena uh, just for 30, 45 minutes. Just kind of real casual. uh, Been good for our guys just to get get shots up. You know, uh, we did that last night. We'll come back, have dinner, just kind of have have their evening. And then game day, uh, you know, we'll have breakfast, um, we're going to walk in the film, uh, we go over scouting port again. We'll have a game day practice for about an hour, uh, always usually about six hours before the game. So, you know, tonight, uh, I guess it'd be one o'clock to about uh, two or thirty, one thirty. So it gives us time to get back. We always have pregame meal about five hours out, two o'clock and then we're at the arena an hour, hour and a half before. So it gets pretty, pretty, pretty routine. And I think what it does is gives guys, you know, mentally a chance to kind of just get themselves right, ready for the game. It's worked for us. Hopefully it does again tonight.
1: Well, Ole Miss so far, four and two on the road in the SEC. What's made this particular th- team, you think, a good road team, at least up until this point? And quite frankly, uh, I, I don't think we can describe them as anything other than a strong road team, considering there's only a couple of weeks left. So what's made this group in particular a good road team?
3: Yeah, you know, I I think, you know, some of it just we mentioned just, just that, that routine on the road. You get into a mindset of going out to prepare for a game. Uh, you know, I do I, – I mean, Coach always talks about it, and I think it's something that, you know, he emphasizes getting guys to understand that, you know, you've got to be tough on the road. And uh, we've always tried to build practices, you know, around the fact that if you can have tough practices, then it, it, it lends itself to, to play well on the road. So, you know, a lot of what we do just every day, just – you know, our rebounding drills and accountability and attention to detail that we do uh, is built to play well on road games. If you can be a good road team, then usually you put yourself in a position where you can play in postseason. And so that's the obvious goal. And then as a group, I tell you, these guys are real resilient, though. I mean, I give them a lot of credit. Tough minded. They stay together through adversity because you're going to go through some adversity on the road. We're down 11 at Mississippi State. Uh, you know, Auburn, obviously, tough place to play. You know, play well there. You know, down late against Vanderbilt, find a way to win that game. Uh, so, so in all different kind of scenarios, we've been able to to uh, even got down ten at Georgia. You know, a couple of weeks ago, and came back and won on the road. So it's a group that's been really connected. They 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 going through tough practices, um, and you know, it gives us just a chance to to be successful on the road in the SEC, which is tough.
1: And they've done it in so many different ways. The one at Georgia is a good example of this in that you go up against the best rebounding team, regardless of overall record, Georgia is the best, is the best rebounding team in the SEC, and yet Bruce Stevens becomes the monster that Kermit Davis has been begging him to become as a rebounder (laughs) and gets non-rebounds and turns the game, things like that. I think the ability for Ole Miss to adapt to each particular opponent stay consistent with your defensive schemes and your offensive philosophy and, and approach. But I think being able to adapt to different styles of play and for certain guys, different guys to step up, that's the mark of a good team, wouldn't you say?
3: Oh, definitely agree, you know, and, and you made a great point. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, uh, that we try to do is give these guys, you know, just a couple key things uh you know whether it's home on the road, especially on the road, because you gotta know you gotta go into tough environments in this league. But, you know, George, that's all we talked about leading up into that game. You know, it's a it's it's a game of rebounding. Can you win a rebounding battle? You know, the first shot's not gonna beat us. And so we emphasize and emphasize and emphasize that, you know, enough lead up to the game. I thought we really we, we, we bought into the fact that that's how we're gonna win the game. Auburn, you know, you the script a little bit and we do that thing, you know, from a three point shooting while they were making fourteen a game, you know, leading the league. You know, by far at the time. And so, can we limit their threes? Can we keep them out of transition? Can we limit their threes? Keep them out of transition. So, that was kind of the mantra up to that game. And obviously, you know, we got a tempo and played that game with a style that those, you know, conducive to us winning. And so, we've tried to kind of do that along the way with every team. And these guys, like I said, giving credit to them, they fall into finding ways to win different ways. And uh, our benches got a little deeper and different guys have stepped up and you know, it's a mark of a really, really good team. And, you know, some we hope will carry us through these next six games.
1: Yeah, one thing Kermit mentioned, not only after the last game, but the game before that, that Luis Rodriguez has come on and he's probably the most natural rebounder on the team. What has Luis brought and how is he a natural rebounder? What does that mean?
3: Yeah, you know, like, I uh, guess uh, the best way to describe it. You, you don't have to tell Luis to go rebound the ball. When that ball is shot, he instinctively will go, you know, and he's trying to get his hands on it. They always get it all the time, but instinctively, kinda of on every shot that's that that's taken. Uh, he's trying to go, to go offensive rebound or defensive rebound on both sides of the ball. You know, some guys you got to urge them. You know, we've been like you alluded to earlier with Bruce, we've been urging him. You know, go rebound, rebound, rebound. He's got ability. You know, he's athletic enough, big enough, uh, just a mindset. And so with Luis, so one of his strengths is he does he, he naturally, instinctively go chases uh, rebounds, um, both offensive and defensive, and that we need as a team and somebody can provide for us, and so as he's got more comfortable uh just being able to execute outside of rebounding you know offensive schemes and defensive schemes that we that we have and it's 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 allowing him to play more you know in games and so that's what we've been trying to preach with him and some of the other guys that come on the bench if if you can do the things in practice where a coach can trust you once he's pushing the games and you'll you'll find yourself getting more minutes and uh, we need it especially uh. You know, for depth purposes and, and with Brian and TD, you know, those guys have to play, you know, extended long minutes. We love when they're out there, obviously, you know, but we give those guys some extra time. So we're fresh and, um, you know, throughout this last stretch of the season, it, I think it will really benefit our team.
1: Zach didn't do much against Missouri, but he, like Luis, were huge, both of them, against Auburn. It, you've been waiting for a couple of guys, you, Kermit, the staff in general, have been waiting for a couple of guys to come on and bring about more depth. It's starting to come, it seems like, at least Kermit says he has more trust in these guys. But what what took it to this point? Why did it take so long for these guys to come on? Is that just typical developmental stuff? Or was there
3: something else to it? Yeah, I, I think you know, some of it's just typical development stuff. I think some of it is adjusting. Um, some of it is it's, it's, it's a matter of kind of what you're, used to coming in as far as uh, previous experience, you know, some guys are more ready to play at this level based on just, you know, what they've gone through, whether it be in junior college or high school. And so sometimes the adjustment is a little steeper for, for others, just a learning curve, if that makes sense. And I think, you know, with Zach uh, and, 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 and uh, Luis both, you know, it's a matter of just trust in terms of can you execute all the different things that we want to do all the time? Because those possessions get really, you know, uh, it's so important and so valuable, you know, when you're playing, you know, close games and tough teams uh, like we do in this league every night. And so, you know, in Zach's case uh, against Auburn, you know, Blake's sick, got the flu, getting some foul trouble. And I told him before against him, you just never know when the opportunity comes, you know, next man up, you know, so be ready, be ready. And he, he took advantage of the moment and he's been better in practice as well. So, I think if those guys have gotten more comfortable in our system, I think uh, it's it's made us a deeper team. And now they just, you know, when they get their opportunities in the games, they got to take advantage of it.
1: Well, looking ahead now, you've won four straight after a one-in-five stretch. And you guys weren't here last year, so you, you can't remember or see or, or think back to when they were 3-2 and two in conference play and then they had a really bad loss against Texas a and a tough loss, a ball rims out, and it spirals downward. This team, when things turned, everything was going so well, but then it's 1-5. They It's not that like, they weren't playing well. They were just losing some tough games. Florida, for example, comes to mind, a 30-footer, one for seven, was the, mm-hmm. the dude who made the three. But this team rallied. This team continued to play the same brand of basketball. This team, despite the same core that, that suffered so many losses in a row at the end of last year, they had a different mindset. They approached the game in a way that you didn't see last year. I think that one thing in in and of itself is what's been so important for for. Brienne and TD and this entire team in general is that they haven't allowed themselves to ever get down or or think that, oh, it's turning. Have you seen that, this confidence about them that no matter what the scenario or whatever the game situation or whatever the record is, it seems like their consistency as far as approach and confidence has stayed pretty steady, and that's been an important thing for them.
3: Yeah, I think it's been really important for us. You know, I I think – this season so far, we've had one game. I thought we just didn't play uh, near as capable as we as we you know capable of against Alabama. I thought that was the one game. Right. Yeah. So even those losses, you know, uh, Iowa State. Um, and they, I they mean, they shot the ball really well, and we could have did some things to guard them better. But I thought they played at a high level, and they're a really good team, obviously. And Mississippi State. We had some chances down the stretch. It's a one-two possession game. They made more plays down the, down the stretch than we did. Uh, you know, and obviously Florida, I mean, you know, you have a chance to win the game, you know, last possession. If you can get a stop, you may hit a great, you know, great shot to send it overtime. So even in some of those losses and that stretch, uh, I thought we were competing really hard. I thought we were playing, you know, well. So, I, I you know, I, it didn't didn't shake our confidence if we just continued to get better and stay together. And we had some tough practices, and those guys uh, fought through it, kept believing. And need to kinda, of, you know, start winning and get that winning feeling again and obviously M game was more we did and, and and I think now these guys realize hey we've we got a chance to really attain a, you know, a goal of playing in, deep in the March. And so I think that's motivated us and them, and especially T D and the seniors and you know, now, you know, with four six games left. We just gotta continue to do what we've done all year long. I think we have a chance to have a great finish.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating to me, the NCAA tournament discussion, and Kermit mentioned that, look, he's not running from it. He's talked to the guys about it. Not really laying out the numbers, just so much saying, hey, guys, you've worked for this opportunity. It's here. It's in front of you. Um, But it's got to be hard. I mean, you've been in that position before as a player, as a coach. It's got to be hard when it's right there not to think ahead. So how do you stay in the moment?
3: Yeah, I mean it is. I mean you know, obviously you know you you can see everybody you know is aware of social media, bracketology, you know always bubble wise those things. So I think you know that's one thing, coach. You know, not going to avoid it. Uh, but but I think what it can do is motivate you. You know, and, and so obviously I take one game at a time. Uh, you can't get ahead of yourselves, but, but I think it does give you some focus in terms of knowing that that's the ultimate prize. And like I told a couple of guys, there's no better feeling, you know, to hit the main cause selection Sunday. Um, and so I think just kind of, you stay in that moment, but realizing what the ultimate goal is, that, 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 that is attainable. It's right there for you. If you can you know, continue to play well. And so I think mean, that's one thing that's kind of you know, drove us as far as just, you know, staying mentally prepared and focusing uh, you know, in practice and in, in, in preparation for all these games, and hopefully, you know, it'll give us you know that much more motivation to to finish the year strong.
1: Well, last one here. Um, I think it's fair to say Ole Miss is ahead of schedule. I, I think if anyone to a man would have asked, okay, in late February, Ole Miss is going to be where it is right now, most would say, wait, 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 what? And would be surprised by, it. and yet the work that's been done here, Ole Miss, is on the precipice of an NCAA tournament berth. Has it? Have you seen as as one of the lead recruiters for Ole Miss? Have you seen a tangible um, result or benefit from this run, from being ahead of schedule and being on the cusp of making the NCAA tournament? Does it help when you're out there trying to recruit players to Ole Miss?
3: Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, winning you know, <laughs> helps tremendously because uh, everybody, you know, if you ask guys recruiting, you know, what their goal is, is, is usually two answers, you know. One to play in the NBA and the second to play, you know, you know, you say play on top twenty five teams. So if you have evidence of that being done, uh, then then you can point to to, to it being realistic where you're at. Yeah, otherwise you have to sell it on 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 on, on your faith, you know. But uh it, it's the response and, 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 and uh the excitement about just kinda how how quickly we've been able to have some success here has helped us uh tremendous recruiting as coaches and obviously players, and, and uh, getting guys to games. We never get guys to games because of the high-level you know, games that we've been involved with in the crowds. and So all those things have been a huge factor in us uh, getting ahead on the court and from a recruiting standpoint. And so we just you know, continue to work at it and hopefully we can finish the spring recruiting really strong.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you real quick. When I had you on this podcast for the first time, gosh, man, months ago, and uh, y'all had just been hired from Middle Tennessee – Um, it was just getting started, and you mentioned on this podcast, you said, look, we we believe that Ole Miss is a sleeping giant here, that there's just everything at its disposal to be great. Um, Has it met your expectation in year one? I know there's still plenty of basketball left to be played, and this is not the time to be reminiscent, but has it met y'all's expectations?
3: Oh, I think it's far exceeded them. Um, You know, I think this, you know, we knew that the place was great in terms of administration and the facilities, but just even the support, um, the league, uh, it's everything about it, and uh, I think just it's, 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 we thought it, felt it, and thought it when we got here. We felt it even stronger, more as we as we got here and been here longer, and throughout the season. And uh, there's no reason that you know we can't compete for SEC championships every year and institute tournaments every year. It's a great place. We got a lot to sell, and got great fans behind us.
1: He's Ronnie Hamilton, Old Miss men's basketball coach assistant. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Best of luck against South Carolina, and we'll talk again, man. Thanks, man.
2: Located at 1801 West Jackson Avenue, Suite D-103 in Oxford, Jackson Beer Company provides Oxford with handcrafted customer service and superior beer knowledge in the northern Mississippi market. Open seven days a week. Stop by and see Alan Jackson and the gang, Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. until 8 p.m., Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. until 9 p.m., and on Sundays from noon until 5. At Jackson Beer Company, we help you handcraft your next event. Whether it's a wedding, Greek event, office party, fundraiser, or other special. Special event. We offer discounts when you purchase in bulk. At Jackson Beer Company, it is our vision to provide Oxford and northern Mississippi with handcrafted customer service and superior beer knowledge. We offer 10 different local and limited-release beers on our growler station, so you will be able to enjoy draft beer at your home or at your next event. That's Jackson Beer Company, located at 1801 West Jackson Avenue, just off the Ole Miss campus in Oxford. Stop by and see them or give them a call today at 662 638 Three six four two. Jackson Beer Company is a proud supporter of Ole Miss athletics.
1: That was Ole Miss men's assistant basketball coach Ronnie Hamilton. This is been Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's David Johnson at Rebels two four seven. Okay, before we get out of here, what are you looking for the rest of the week in Ole Miss athletics news?
2: Well, i uh, tell you what, I'm going to have something with Calvin McGee out front Ooh. on the Ole Miss Spirit uh, today. I'm excited about that. Uh, great guy, by the way. Let me tell you, a fantastic addition to the Ole Miss staff. I, I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on the tight ends coming up uh, uh, this fall in the Ole Miss offense. But, but Calvin, a wonderful guy with a very good deep and rich football history. So we're going to be breaking down the Ole Miss tight end situation, his assessment of it since he's gotten here on the Ole Miss campus. Hope to have something with Rich Rodriguez coming up a little bit later this week as we're, we're starting to kind of turn our eyes towards spring practice, which gets underway next Tuesday, by the way. Um, and, uh, thank goodness it's not this week or they definitely would have been inside the entire week with all the rain we're getting in the Oxford area. Uh, I'll have something rolling out on Mike Smith and the Ole Miss softball program. And they're also a 6-3 and three start. Uh, very, very tough beginning of the season for them in terms of travel schedule. Ben, do you know in 11 days they slept in their own bed twice? Over the over the period of eleven days, playing that tournament in Orlando, and then heading out to the West Coast, uh, so that that's got a fatigue factor to it right there. And we'll talk a little bit about that with Mike, as well as the fantastic start uh, for JUCO transfer Molly Jacobs, since she was a National Pitcher of the Year last year. The question was, would it all translate up to the to the Power Five level? And so far, so good. She's looking good through her first uh, several outings.
1: Ole Miss baseball has had a run in with the weather. Sunday was postponed, well, canceled straight up. They haven't rescheduled the game. And then Tuesday's game was postponed, both because of rain, heavy rain. I actually was talking to Keith Carter in the bullpen after Saturday's game, and I said, "Hey, uh, y'all going to play two today? Y'all going to play two today?" And uh, he went on, oh, "No, Mike's thinking that the weather will pass tomorrow." Well, that didn't happen. So uh, Ole Miss baseball, one and one on the year, a bad, ugly loss on Saturday just did not play well for the first four innings and we're getting run rough shot over by uh, Wright state. So can Ole Miss baseball bounce back? The game is po- the game against Arkansas state that was postponed from for today is tentatively scheduled for tomorrow. Weather's not good for that either. So the next time Ole Miss baseball plays might be in new Orleans, when they travel to face Tulane for a three game series. Will Etheridge is dealing with a blister on his fingers, might be ankle announced after the game. Still dealing with that. If he is not able to pitch against Tulane this weekend, Houston Roth will most likely re enter the uh, starting rotation for Ole Miss baseball. So keep an eye on that. And then, of course, uh-huh. Ole Miss basketball first, South Carolina, and then Georgia at home. So uh, a big week across the board for Ole Miss Athletics. And then spring practice starts when?
2: Tuesday afternoon. Wow, uh, rebels will go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next, next week. Next Tuesday. So.
1: Next Tuesday. Next next Tuesday. Okay.
2: and uh, what well, doesn't Mike Smith look smart now for scheduling the entire first <laughs> month of his season in Florida, California, and Texas, considering the can't count on Christmas this place, man.
1: Weather, yeah, yeah. can't Been count tough. on this place. Yeah, he's David Johnson. I'm Ben Garrett. Check out the oldmanspiritoldmanspirit dot Oldman com. Thanks, man. We'll talk again. Sounds good.